listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 291. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 105 to 112. 105. The whole gathering of the apostles and disciples were somewhat at a loss to find the proper course to be pursued, and several opinions were proposed. Some of them suggested that a chief steward be chosen, who should receive all the money and gifts, and who should distribute it according to the necessities of all. But this suggestion was not favored by this gathering of the poor and of the disciples of the Master of Poverty, on account of the example of Judas, so recently before their eyes. To others, it seemed good to make a deposit of all the goods into the hands of a reliable person, not belonging to the apostolic college, who should be master of it, and apply the profits or rents according to the needs of the faithful. But also this seemed inappropriate, just as other measures also proposed. The great mistress of humility, the blessed Mary, listened to all without saying a word as well, because she wished to show this reverence to the apostles, as because no one would have advanced his own opinion, if she had first made known her view. Although she was the teacher of all, she also conducted herself as a disciple, anxious to listen and learn. But St. Peter and St. John, perceiving the diversity of opinion among the rest, besought the Heavenly Mother to show them the right way in their doubts and to declare what should be most pleasing to her divine Son. 106. She obeyed, and speaking to the whole gathering, she said, My masters and brethren, I was in the school of our teacher, my divine Son, from the time when he was conceived in my womb, until he died and ascended into heaven. I have never seen him touch or handle money, nor accept a gift of much value or price. When shortly after his birth he accepted the presents offered to him by the kings at their adoration, Matthew 2.11, it was because of the mysterious signification connected with them, and in order that he might not frustrate the pious intention of those kings who were the first fruits among the heathens. But without delay, while resting on my arms, he ordered me immediately to distribute them among the poor and the temple, as I also did. Many times during his life he told me that one of the high purposes of his coming into the world was to raise up poverty and to teach it to mortals who stand in horror of it. 
In his conversations, his teachings, and his most holy life, he manifested to me and made me understand that the holiness and perfection which he had come to teach was to be founded on the most perfect voluntary poverty and the contempt of riches. The more earnestly these were cultivated in the church, so much greater would be her sanctity in the course of the ages, and this will be evident in the coming times. 107. Since we are to follow the footsteps of our true master and practice his teachings in order that we may found his church by imitating his example, it is necessary that we all embrace the most strict poverty and that we honor and revere it as the mother of all the virtues and holiness. Hence, I am of opinion that we all should detach our hearts from the love of money and riches and that all of us should refuse to handle it or accept valuable and precious gifts. In order that no one may be defiled by avarice, six or seven persons of approved life and established virtue might be appointed, who are to receive the alms and offerings and whatever else the faithful wish to deposit in their desire to live more securely and to follow Christ, my divine Son, without the embarrassment of possessions. All this must be given in the form of alms, not in the manner of rents or income or capital. All of it should be used for supplying the needs of the community and of our brethren and poor, the needy and the infirm, and let none of the congregation nor the church consider any of these goods as belonging to themselves any more than to any of the brethren. If the alms thus offered for the sake of God should not suffice for the maintenance of all, let those that are appointed for this work ask for more in the name of God. Let all of us understand that our lives depend upon the most high providence of the divine Son, and not upon the solicitude for acquiring money, nor upon increasing our possessions under pretext of providing for our sustenance. Let us rather have confidence, and if necessary, rely on the beneficence of almsgiving. 108. None of the apostles nor the other faithful of their gathering objected to the decision of their great queen and teacher, but all of them heartily embraced her doctrine, knowing that she was the only and legitimate disciple of the Lord, and that she was the teacher of the church. The most prudent mother, by divine disposition, would not delegate to one of the apostles this instruction and the laying of this solid foundation of evangelical and Christian perfection in the church, because such an arduous task required the authorship and example of Christ and his most holy mother. They were the inventors and institutors of this most noble poverty, and they were the first to honor it by an open profession of it. These two leaders were followed by the apostles and by all the children of the primitive church. This kind of poverty flourished afterwards for many years. Later on, through human frailty and through human malice of the enemy, it decayed in some of the Christians, so that finally it came to be restricted to the ecclesiastical state. And because the course of time made this form of poverty difficult or impossible, also for this state, God raised up the religious communities, where, with some diversity, the primitive poverty was renewed and kept alive in its entirety or in its main intent. Thus, it will be preserved in the church to this end, securing its privileges to its devotees, according to the degree in which they follow, honor, and love this virtue. None of the states of life approved by the church is excluded from its proportionate measure, and none of those living in those states are excused from striving after its highest perfection in their own lives. But as in the house of God there are many mansions, John 14.2, so there also are different orders and grades of inhabitants. Let each one live up to the poverty which is in accordance with his state. But let all of us understand that the first step in the imitation following of Christ is voluntary poverty. 
and those that pursue it more closely can so much the more freely rejoice in sharing with Christ its advantages and perfections. 109. With the decision of the Blessed Mary, the meeting of the Apostolic College was closed, and six prudent men were chosen to receive and dispense the alms. The Great Lady asked the blessing of the Apostles, who again returned to their work of preparing the catechumens for baptism on the following day. The Queen, with the assistance of her angels and of the other Marys, proceeded to prepare and adorn the hall in which her Divine Son had celebrated the Last Supper and with her own hand she cleansed it and scrubbed it for his return, in the consecration to be performed on the next day. She asked the owner to furnish it in the same way as I have described for the Thursday of the Last Supper, and the devout host deferred to her wishes with deepest reverence. She also prepared the unleavened bread and the wine necessary for the consecration, together with the same paten and chalice in which the Savior had consecrated. For the baptism, she provided pure water and the basins for administering it with ease and reverence. Then the loving mother retired and passed the night in most fervent aspirations, prostrations, thanksgiving, and other exercises of exalted prayer, offering to the Eternal Father all that she and her heavenly wisdom knew would help worthily to prepare herself and all the rest for the worthy administration of baptism. 110. Early the next day, which was the octave of the coming of the Holy Ghost, all the faithful and catechumens gathered with the apostles and disciples in the house of the Seneca. St. Peter preached to this gathering, instructing them in the nature and excellence of baptism, the need in which they stood of it, and its divine effects, how they would, through it, be made members of the mystical body of the Church, receive an interior character, be regenerated to a new existence as children of God and inheritors of His glory through the remission of sins and sanctifying grace. He exhorted them to the observance of the divine law, to which they subjected themselves by their own free will, and to a humble thanksgiving for this benefit, and for all the others, which they received from the hands of the Most High. He explained to them also the mysterious and sacred truth of the Holy Eucharist, which was to be celebrated in the consecration of the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. And he admonished all those especially who were to receive Holy Communion after their baptism. One eleven, Through this sermon, all the converts were inspired with additional fervor for their dispositions were altogether sincere. The words of the apostles full of life and penetration and the interior grace very abundant. Then the apostles themselves began to baptize amid the most devout and orderly attention of the others. The catechumens entered one door of the cenacle, and after being baptized, they passed out through another, while the disciples and others of the faithful acted as ushers. The Most Holy Mary was present at the entire ceremony, although keeping to one side of the hall. She prayed for all of them and broke forth in canticles of praise. She recognized the effects of baptism in each one, according to the greater and less degree of virtues infused in their souls. She beheld them renewed and washed in the blood of the Lamb, and their souls restored to a divine purity and spotlessness. In witness of these effects, a most clear light, visible to all that were present, descended upon each one that was baptized. By this miracle, God wished to authenticate the first beginnings of the sacrament in His holy church, and to console both those first children and us, who are made partakers of this blessing without much adverting to it or giving thanks for it. One twelve. This administration of baptism was continued on that day until all were baptized, although there were about 5,000 to receive it. 
While the baptized were making their thanksgiving for this admirable blessing, the apostles, with all the disciples and the faithful, spent some time in prayer, all of them prostrating themselves on the ground, adoring the infinite and immutable God, and confessing their own unworthiness of receiving him in the most august sacrament of the altar. In this profound humility and adoration, they prayed themselves more immediately for communion, and then they recited the same psalms and prayers which Christ had recited before consecrating, imitating faithfully that sacred function, just as they had seen it performed by their divine master. St. Peter took in his hands the unleavened bread. After raising up his eyes to heaven with admirable devotion, he pronounced over the bread the words of consecration the most holy body of Christ, as had been done before by the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.24 Immediately the cenacle was filled with the visible splendor of innumerable angels, and this light converged in a most singular manner on the Queen of Heaven and Earth, and was seen by all those present. Then St. Peter consecrated the chalice and performed all the ceremonies which Christ had observed with the consecrated body and blood, raising them up for the adoration of all the faithful. The apostle partook himself of the sacrament and communicated it to the eleven apostles, as most holy Mary had instructed him. Thereupon, at the hands of St. Peter, the Heavenly Mother partook of it, while the celestial spirits there present attended with ineffable reverence. In approaching the altar, the great lady made three profound prostrations, touching the ground with her face. This concludes our reading today for day number 291. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 105 to 112. The Apostles consult Our Lady. They bring to her their questions or doubts, and they ask well, what would Jesus want? What would be pleasing to your son? And so at times, Mary indeed does advise. And then we hear this discourse about poverty and Jesus elevating poverty, Jesus wanting us to choose poverty. There's poverty in spirit and then there's physical poverty. Here we're talking about monetary poverty as they're really discussing the distribution of alms and money and so forth and so on. But it's a a good point, maybe, for us just to simply think about poverty and say, how do I manifest poverty in some way in my life? Because we are rich in so many things, we have resources, but in what way can I choose poverty? Now the consecrated religious, they choose poverty. They take a vow, an evangelical council of poverty. But even for those who live in the world, we can in some ways renounce possessions. We can choose a lesser option. We can do something to embrace this spirit of poverty that Jesus encouraged his apostles to have, according to the Blessed Mother. And then from poverty, we move into baptism and the role of baptism, how it's to be done, etc. And as the baptisms are taking place, there Mary is standing by the side, watching these people be baptized. And as she sees them, she knows herself what they're going to do. She knows their interior dispositions. But what's she doing as she's standing there? She's praying for them. She's entrusting them to the Lord Almighty. 
praying that they remain faithful to what it is that they profess and believe in this precise moment. And then we have that celebration of the Holy Eucharist in our reading today, celebrated by St. Peter, who repeats the words of Jesus, who does what he did on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus, remember, says, do this in remembrance of me. It's St. Peter, head of the apostles, gathered with the others, gathered with the believers, who celebrates this Eucharist. And thought that was interesting, maybe because I always just envisioned it being John. But yes, Peter celebrates the Holy Mass, makes present Christ among them, and what it must have been like. We heard that the angels filled the room. And if the angels filled the room in that moment, imagine what happens at every Mass celebrated throughout the world. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.